0: Thanks
1: for his faithfulness this morning. He is so good. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. you lead us by still waters into mercy and nothing can keep us apart so remember your people remember your children Draw. died for me there on the cross you breathed your last as you were crucified in agony He watched His only son My sins are scarlet. You have made me white as snow. And though my sins are scarlet, You have made us white as snow. Made me white as snow
0: In church I've had uh, had something on my mind a lot lately, and I'm going to try to convey my heart like I did in the first service. I just don't want to miss that what we're doing here is, is I want it to be the right thing because we do this every week with the fancy instruments and the you know all this these we were tangled to and all that and that's not what it's about if all we had was was this book and the Holy Spirit like praise his name and I don't want to miss it and I know that I'm just a part of this, but I, and I don't, I don't wanna just like up and walk away from this, okay, so don't hear me, but there is a part of me that has that reaction that I'm like, wait a sec, have we done it wrong, Lord? Because it's not about feeling good and playing fun songs. It's fun, right? Are you guys having a good time? Yeah, I mean, we, we up here, like we love this, right? Because we're musicians at heart, but it's not about just the emotional response that we get and the, oh, that sounds cool. Hopefully it sounds good, I don't know. It's not about that, because we can play the harmonica or just sing you are good over and over and over and over and over again for all of eternity. And that is it. And on another hand, if we're not taking it from this 20 minutes out of this place, we might as well go home now. It's like Brian said, if, if, if you go leave from this place and sit in your cubicle, and the guy next to you is blah, 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 you know, just, what he needs the grace that we were just singing about. So the whole point here is that you're singing oceans of kindness, wave after wave, mercy arriving again and again, and that's not just for me, but that's for the guy next to me too, and I'm here to be a light for him. And I'm taking my worship as a living sacrifice out of this place. And so these songs that we sing are worship unto him, but also to be in our brains And I'll repeat what Mara said, that remember your people, God, remember your children, is not because God forgot. But as we remind him, hey, don't forget this, we're reminding ourselves that he has promises that he will fulfill and is fulfilling. And that helps us remember, right? So I hesitated to teach this next song to you because about three-fourths of it is just saying you are good over and over and over again. And we have a lot of songs that say that already, but I'm reminded that as the sun rises, every stinking morning, you guys, his faithfulness is for real. And there are rhythms and patterns that are just over and over and over and over again for all of eternity. And so if all we do is say you are good, that's enough. Amen? I, I don't really have anything to read out of here, but read Romans 1 and 2 because all of these wicked things that are happening in our hearts because Stephen Manley says he cuts us open and there, there is brokenness at the, at the core of our being leads us to repentance because of his kindness. And so that's really, I, I, I love this, this part of this song that says your kindness leads me to repentance and your goodness draws me to your side. Your mercy calls me to be like you. Your favor is my delight. And so I hope you'll hope you'll enjoy this song like I have. He is good, isn't he? Your kindness leads me to repentance.
2: Your goodness draws me to yourself.
0: Jesus is the good shepherd of your people. Grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen.
3: You ever... um walk into a room and forget why you entered into the room. Anybody ever do that? Uh, you ever, you ever, you, when I worked in the um, Talbot Towers in downtown Dayton, we worked on the 14th floor, then we worked on the 13th floor, and I'd ride the elevator down, and, and, and inevitably I'd have to ride the elevator back up, and sometimes I'd end up in the Lazarus Garage, which was a, about a block Uh, further south from where I worked, and i do all that walk. I did a lot of walking uh, and elevator riding because of my forgetful nature. I get about 15 to 20,000 steps a day. Not because I'm that active, it's just that I'm that forgetful, and uh, I end up doing things multiple times. Uh, when, When you grow up in the church, you get all these great old church stories of things happening with evangelists and stuff, and when I was growing up in the church, there was a an evangelist one time that was talking about um, forgetfulness and somebody in the congregation took the liberty to yell out while the evangelist was preaching it was a it was a little bit more informal church setting maybe than, than maybe even we are and he yelled out i'm so forgetful that i sometimes find myself at the refrigerator not knowing if i'm putting in or taking out and this was kind of a husky gentleman if you will and and the evangelist said, brother, most of the time you're taking out. And uh, <laughs> those were great. If you weren't in the church growing up, you missed a lot of fun things. But, but we forget. You know, all of us have those moments where we forget. And, and last week, we, we started those 40 days of Jesus after the resurrection, before the, the ascension. And, and we began with this idea that we've been sent on a mission. And so the next four weeks is about defining, refining, um, helping us remember the substance of that mission. Why are we going? What are we to be doing? And and, and it's important that we understand that in this phrase, it's, it's not as if, oh, we have a mission occasionally. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says, in your going. And the implication of that is, in the way we live our lives, there's a mission attached. So, so it's not just, okay, well, on, on, on Tuesday nights I'm going to go and I'm going to be on the mission of God. It's, our life is intended to be the mission of God, that, that it's in our living, in our going. One, one of the reasons you're at work, now, now I hope you do more than read your Bible and evangelize while you're at work. I hope you do your job because that's part of being a good witness. But one of the reasons you're at that workplace is in your going, you have been sent on the mission. Well, when you come home, it's, it's not just about, hey, this is relaxation time, but in your home, you are sent on a mission in your neighborhood. It's all these things that we do, it's how we live as part of the mission. And so last week we, we looked at John 20, and this week we're going to look at the parallel account in Luke 24. It, it, it's the same, same encounter, slightly different, but it's the same encounter. Uh, it's, it's after Jesus has had the encounter with the two guys on the road to Emmaus. He's had this conversation He revealed himself to them, and, and they come back to Jerusalem. This isn't part of the, the John narrative, but in Luke Luke adds this additional part, that, that in the room are these two disciples that Jesus had to walk with after the resurrection, that, that Jesus revealed himself in the, in the breaking of the bread for communion. And so verse 36 of Luke 24, while they were telling these things, these guys have come back, and they're talking about Jesus... He himself, Jesus, stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. Shalom. Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see, that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they could still not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? (laughs) They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that the repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So if you were here last week, you, you see there's a lot of similarities between John 20 and Luke 24. There's a lot that's the same. You know, there's, there's this ideal of the blessing that, that Jesus says, you know, you know, blessing, shalom, he blesses them. There is this showing of the scars. He shows them his hands and his feet. There's this ideal that it feels like just all of a sudden, mysteriously, he's there. It's like he's, he's come through closed doors. I, I don't know what's going on there, but all of a sudden, Jesus is just there. There's differences. There's no missing Thomas narrative. So, so Luke conveniently or he purposefully leaves that out, and you know John includes it. There's no, no narrative with Thomas. There's not this two uh, meetings that you see in John. It, it doesn't include. The difficult passage of forgiving or retaining sins, which is a very difficult passage. If you don't watch our podcast, I'd encourage you to watch the podcast this week. We we had a a long conversation about that verse, what it could mean, how how we should apply it, what should we do with that passage dealing with retaining and forgiving sins. It, It includes, in this account, Jesus eating. Why do do they include that? This is highly significant. The, the, The gospel is going to great lengths for us to understand that this is not a spiritual resurrection. This is not a ghost that they see. This is the physically resurrected Jesus because ghosts don't eat. And the gospel writers... John, in particular, when he gets in his letters, goes to great detail to talk about the physical, the physical resurrection of Jesus. But it's similar in this that once again Jesus is sending them on a mission. He's telling them to wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come, but Jesus is sending the disciples, the apostles, they're going to be the apostles, he's sending them on a mission, and it's particularly described in verse 47. that This mission is repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And so we've been sent on a mission. We understand that in our going, as as we live our lives, there is this mission attached to, to, to our goings, to the way we live. And in this passage, we begin to see what that looks like. We, we are called to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, now when you see this language, it's, it's very similar to the language or the mission of John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes out in the wilderness. He's out by the Jordan River, and, and, he, and he's, he's, he's calling people to repentance. Repent and be baptized. And he's preaching to people who had this deep understanding in the core of their being that somehow they had missed the mark. That that, that things weren't just right. That that they were sinners. That they had failed in their religious duty. That they couldn't keep the law. They, They understood that they were broken and they needed God to do something new and fresh. They had this understanding that they had failed as a nation, that, that they were supposed to be this nation that was set apart, and yet here they are. They're occupied by the Romans, that they can't get things right. Everything's a mess. And they understood that as sinners, broken, lost. And John comes saying, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and be baptized. Cross the Jordan again. Let's start over. <laughs> Who likes do-overs? All right? John invites them to this do-over. Now, John was a prophet. He's probably, he is the last prophet prophet. He he continues this prophetic ministry you see in the Old Testament, and he speaks like a prophet, and he is a prophet, and and, and the people respond to this prophetic voice in the wilderness. And then Jesus continues this ministry of John. That oftentimes, I don't know that we see this, but Jesus' ministry flows through the ministry of John. That, That Jesus' is. Baptized by john and and after he 's baptized by john he, he, he is in the wilderness where he 's tempted, and then he comes out of the wilderness with this very similar proclamation in matthew four seventeen he, he says, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and so this is the theme of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is calling the people of Israel, he's calling sinners, he's calling people that that, that the religious system is left behind to to this hope of repentance, and in this repentance to experience the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And Jesus in his ministry, in his teachings, in the way he lives his life, expresses this very simple ideal that God is calling all people to to turn, to repent, to go from one direction, change directions, and begin to embrace God and live within the power and the confines of that kingdom. T- to trust in Jesus and to return in relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's leaning into John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, This isn't just length of life, it's eternal life that's springing up in us. But God did not send, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I've become aware that that oftentimes in my ministry, I talk about these things and our obligation to present these things without giving opportunity for us to respond to these things in the midst of sermon. And I think it's important that, that we stop. And we not just understand that that is the mission of God for us, but that is the call for God for us as well. That this is the invitation, this invitation to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is not just something we proclaim, it's something we experience. As a matter of fact, if we don't experience it, it's very difficult to proclaim it, right? (laughs) And so I think it's important that we stop and we actually talk about This promise and this hope. What God wants for us, not from us. God sent Jesus into the world to restore relationship. To restore a broken relationship with humanity and their Heavenly Father. And and we are in this broken relationship when we live in our sins. Jesus gives us this invitation that if we confess our sins, where we've missed the mark, where we've fallen short of what God wants in our life, if we confess those sins, John says he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. He'll justify us. And, and that's just a big word that means that it'll be just as if we haven't ever sinned. This is the invitation. He'll reconcile us to himself, and he'll restore relationship with us. He'll he'll give us his spirit to live in us, to do what Dr. Manley called that merger, right? I wish I could do like... To merge. To merge with us, and his spirit will guide us and begin this transformation process within us. He'll restore... Not only our relationship with him, but it'll give new life to our relationship with others. But Bonhoeffer would write that we can't even love father and brother until we understand how to love our heavenly father. <laughs> that somehow we learn to love in that. And so God is inviting to this space where not only is our relationship with him opened up and better, but our relationship with everyone around us is better if you've not made that step can I tell you not not only will will he restore relationship with, with himself with you but God will do a work even in the places that you work and even in your home life will be better because of relationship is that true church he makes all things new That's the invitation. That's our mission and that's our invitation that God has called us to this space where we can be reconciled, justified, sanctified in relationship with him, experiencing life. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God doesn't want anything from you. He wants this for you. All heads bowed. Maybe you've not seen that. Maybe there's been barriers. Let's let's ask him right now if he won't do that work in our hearts. Lord, right now I just acknowledge my need for you. I need you like I need the air I breathe. I can't live and life is not possible without you. Lord, in my life, I confess there's been times where I've missed your mark. I've sinned. I've failed. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you give this promise that if we confess, you'll forgive. I'll pray, Lord, that you'll help me and you'll help us to walk in your light, to allow your spirit to guide us to live in relationship with you, not out of religious duty, but but in a love relationship with you so that I can love my neighbor like myself. I can love my wife like I should. I should love with with a sacrificial love my kids. And Lord, that I'll be bold and willing to share this good news with those I encounter. Help us now, Lord, to acknowledge that and live that. Now, now, maybe you've never prayed that before. You can lift your eyes. If you have, I'd encourage you to talk to somebody. Uh, talk, talk, you can talk to me. You can, you can talk to Amy or Mara or Josh. You can talk to any of your pastoral staff. You can talk to Sunday school teachers. You could probably talk to the, to the person sitting there. If they can talk to you, say amen for them real quick, okay? Nobody said amen. That, that was a cue to say amen. Say amen. If you, amen. Yeah, you can talk to the people in the pews next to you, the chairs next to you. This is our mission. Man. What an awesome mission. What, 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 what a job to have. <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes say to Terry, and she gets mad. In my life, I've, you know, I've, I've been a lawyer and I've pastored. And, and to be truthful, I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. She hates it when I say that. But, but that's the truth. I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. And what God's calling us to is not work. That's the work of the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the hope of the Lord. And he's calling his people to this. He said, you have the great privilege of inviting people to this space where they can have a restored relationship with God and they can live life to the full. What a great privilege. Now it's important to see what that means though. And, and the parameters of that. We're not called to convict people of sin. That's not a role. Uh, that's the easy role, and, that, and religion typically comes in with, okay, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's your sin. This is the role. This is the purpose, or this is one of the things the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts. John 16, Jesus says, I will spend my spirit in the world and my spirit will convict people, will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And so John's revival, he preaches repentance, repent and be baptized, but the conviction was coming from the Holy Spirit. John's revival was a work of the Spirit. If we ever do a great work, in this community, in this church, it won't be because of what we've done. It'll be because of what the Spirit's done. Amen? It's always the work of the Spirit. And too often, we see the sins in others' lives and we want to convict them of it. We spend our time convincing them of, hey, this is a failure. You really need to get life right. And, and, And that was the mark of the religious people of Jesus' day. You know, they, they were really good at pointing out the flaws in other people's lives. And that's why Jesus would say, well, why do you worry about the splinter in their eye when you have a whole beam in your eye? You know, Jesus is using a little humor there. We don't see that, but Jesus is being funny. got a big piece of wood in your eye and you're worried about that splinter in their eye? We get too caught up in convincing and convicting. Now, the spirit can use our words, but we've got to be careful here. We're reliable if we're not in tune with the spirit. If we're not in tune with the other person, we might simply drive a wedge between ourselves and others. There's a level of discernment that needs to be practiced here. Several years ago, is before I was married. I was still at Vandalia, and my brother was the pastor there. And, and I was at an altar praying. So if you ever think, well, he just asked people to go to the altar because he's a pastor. When I wasn't a pastor, I would go to the altar, okay? So I was at an altar praying. I don't even remember what it was about. I, I, I don't remember any, you know, just, you know, I, I just kind of... <laughs> In my life, I found the altar is just a great place to go. I, I'm sorry, and so so I don't remember it was some big crisis. Just you know, it was altar time, and I went. And so I'm praying at the altar, and, and some good-hearted lady, I, I can't remember who it was, came and was praying with me, which you know you sometimes see. And she so she got her hand on my shoulder and she's praying. And, and after we got done praying, you know I got up. You know, and, you know I don't know maybe we hugged. I don't know, but she said, "I was praying that God would send a wife into your life this year." I wasn't praying for a wife. And I told Virgil, I said, if I get married in the next year, I'm going to beat her senseless. <laughs> you know, we need to have discernment in these conversations. We need to listen to the spirit. We need to listen to the other person. See, our audience matters. Who we're who saying these things matters. Uh, John preached a repentance Of sins. He he really began there. He began began there. You need to repent of your sins. You've missed the mark. You're sinners. You need to repent. And John began his conversation there. He began that in a shame-based culture, a culture that had a a great deal of understanding of sin. John didn't have to point out their sins. They knew their sins. Our culture? Can, Can we acknowledge Our culture has shifted in the last 20 years. We don't live in a shame-based culture. We don't live in a sin-aware culture. For for years, you could start with sin. You could begin the conversation there, and, and most people you would talk to would have an awareness or an understanding of that. But now, for the most part, That's not where the conversation begins with people who have never grown up with some of the things that we grew up with. I think the better model is Paul at Athens. Paul at Athens, he starts the conversation in Athens not with sin, but with God and the resurrection of Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. That's where he begins, you know, this, this unknown God. You're, there's, there's this creator God, and he sent his son, and his son rose from the dead. And that's where Paul begins the conversation, not with sin, not with confession. We sang for the cross, and I got to tell you, we get to that last phrase, though my sins were scarlet, you have made me white as snow. Man, that moves my spirit. Not that the rest of the song doesn't, but i got to tell you, in the heart of my heart, when I hear that phrase, man, it, it, sometimes it's even hard to say, to think about this God that took my bright red sins and he made me white as snow. But that's based on who I am, my experience, all that I've experienced. You, you sing that or you say that to somebody that's never experienced life in the same way that I have, that's not going to have the same understanding. But this, and this is where Paul began, but on that day, what seemed was as the darkest hour of violent hope broke through and shook the ground. And as you rose, the light of all the world was magnified as you rose in victory. Hallelujah, it is finished. Hallelujah, it is done. Hallelujah, King forever. We thank you for the cross. That's where Paul starts. You know, I think eventually people will get to this confession, but it won't be your work. it'll be the spirit's work. Four very practical guides: Take time to know the person. I mean, Take, t- take the time to really know the person. It's never wrong to start with the goodness of God. <laughs> You'll, you'll ne- if you're unsure, you'll, you'll never go wrong saying, Hey, I'm just going to start and talk to you about how good my God is. Trust the Holy Spirit for conviction. Uh, Terry's dad wasn't saved for many years. And we would, we would get him in every revival and every camp meeting you get at, and you get him to, you know, the hope that he would recommit his life. He had been saved earlier, that he walked away from God, and it wasn't until Wyatt's baptism, Spencer's baptism, so you know, man, it's not. I thought, wow, that Jim got saved. And so after he uh, after got saved, I, you know, I had a conversation with Jim. You know, I was pastor. I said, Jim, I'm just curious. You know, we did this, and, you know, you were in this service, and this happened, and it, and it seemed like, you know, you, you had this heart attack, and you had this guy that was laying in the floor of your hospital room praying for you and all this stuff, and, and, and you seemed like nothing. And he said to me, he said, you have no idea what was going on on the inside through all that. Folks, we can trust God. We can trust his spirit. Some of you have loved ones you're praying for. I have loved ones I'm praying for. And there's times you just want to grab them and shake them and scream in their face and say, why don't you just get it together? Anybody ever feel like that? We can trust the Holy Spirit is at work. Be prepared to suggest next steps. What, what I'm finding, um, Rock, you're in the prison. You, you do a lot of ministry, and, and, and I, I'd venture to guess this is true. Probably in that setting, they're, they're more apt to take a next step than an ultimate step. Is that true? Most of the time, people are, are wanting you to walk through this with them. And they and they're willing to take next steps that maybe not ultimate steps and and what you will find is many baby steps and then somebody's way far down along the journey. And they've been doing, living this life of faith and, and and it's almost it's it's not like this this altar experience that's been like crazy, you know, crisis moment, not that that doesn't happen. That's why to be honest, knocking on doors and just cold calling people is not as effective as maybe it once was. Not, not, not to be. It's why revivals have moved from places where people get saved to church renewals, because it, it doesn't operate like that most time. Most of the time, people doesn't don't come to the church and just listen to one person one time and they respond. That they take baby steps. That's why this is important. What we do in here matters, but it's not the end all. Because if it doesn't happen out there, if you're not walking with people and allowing them to take baby steps and you're taking baby steps with them, oftentimes they never come to that place of faith. People want you to walk with them. They want you to be committed to them. It's a change in perspective. It's people are loved children of God who oftentimes need direction home. They're not projects. That you write a name in a book, you, you make a line on a board, but these are people, dearly loved children of God that he's inviting us, encouraging us, calling us to walk with. Some final thoughts. You know what it means when a preacher says final thoughts, right? Absolutely (laughs) nothing. Sometimes this is translated uh, preach repentance instead of proclaim repentance. And and most people don't have opportunities to preach sermons. You know, most people don't consider themselves preachers. It's, it's not an obligation. We're still all sent ones. We're still all apostles. You know, just because it uses preach here or it's, it's, it's translated preach doesn't mean, well, if I'm not a preacher, there's no obligation there. In the New Testament, you do see uh, many sermons. You, you see after Pentecost, Peter comes out and preaches this sermon. It's mainly scripture, but he preaches this sermon. Paul has several opportunities to preach sermons, but, but most people don't get that opportunity. I think everybody should at one time, just so you could experience the joy of standing in front of people. It's not even just, okay, well, so I don't preach, so my call is to get people to a place where they hear a sermon. No, this is our, our call to proclaim in our going. Uh, most are impromptu, informal meetings. Uh, I think of Paul in the Philippians jailer and, and this in Paul and the Philippian jailer Paul and and Silas are in jail is it Paul and Silas I'm right right Paul and Silas are in jail and they're singing hymns and 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 the jail doors pop open and and this the jailer's going to kill himself because he'll he's responsible for those prisoners and Paul says hey don't hurt yourself we're all still here and and the and the jailer says what must I do to be saved you know what, what is this you've got why are you so different why am I hearing you sing in the middle of the night in my prison? Why are jail cell doors coming open? What's different about you? I want what you have. It's more like that. It's more like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, Philip is in this great revival in, in Samaria, and God takes him from this revival, and he puts him on this, this wilderness road. And, and, and Philip is not one of the official apostles, disciples. Philip is a deacon. Philip was sent to wait on tables. Philip was a layman, a laywoman. He, he wasn't a formal preacher, and God was using him. And he's sitting on this road, and this Ethiopian eunuch comes by, and he's reading scripture, and it's the real comical scene of Philip running beside the, the chariot, finding to me at least. I, you know, sometimes I just read scripture and laugh at some of the images there, but he's running beside the scripture, uh, the chariot, listening to him to read scripture, and and, and finally, the 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 Ethiopian eunuch asks, What's this mean? And Philip explains it, and, he's, and, he, and he gets saved and he's baptized. And I think this is a good model, and this unexpected, available listening, explaining. Um, what does it take to proclaim the good news? Be available, fully present, not distracted. The truth is, I love my cell phone. Who, lo- who loves their iPhones? G- give me an amen. Just be honest about it, you love them, don't you? You get your emails on them, you can watch, look at Facebook, you can look at Instagram, you, you can look at Twitter, you can watch videos, you can look at YouTube. If I was smart enough, I could watch TikTok videos. I know what the phrase is, but I've never been able to determine how you do that. My favorite thing to do on it is I can play games on my cell phone. You know, if push comes to shove, you can actually even make calls on him. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, all these things, but they're distractions, aren't they? Media can distract us from the moment. You know, I, I kind of laughed as I thought about this. What, what if Philip was sitting on his eye scroll when the Ethiopian eunuch went by? He was available. He listened. Listening demonstrates love. As a matter of fact, I think Paul Tillich says the first act of love is listening. Really listening gives us an opportunity to share. And as a matter of fact, until you've really listened, you really, you really don't have the right to do a lot of sharing. Really listening, and then communicating clearly and simply. You don't need a master's in theology. You, you don't need to know the Greek roots of the word to share. Faith as a child. Um, I can remember the first time I went to an altar. I was five or six Rushville, First Church of the Nazarene, in Rushville, Indiana. and I can remember, I, I believe it was on, because I think, I think this is the right side of the altar to go to, if you need to go. I think it was right somewhere around right here. You know, you don't want to be at the end. You know, when you're serious, you got to get in the middle somewhere. So that's five or six years old. I, I don't know what God was convicting me about. I don't remember any of that. I, 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 all I remember was this, this urge that I needed to respond to God. You know, that's what it is, right? It's just responding to God. And, and the truth is, for many years of my life, I kind of discounted that. Well, that, was, that was just me as a kid. I had ups and downs and, and great spiritual experiences, and, and I began to lose that experience. But the truth is, that experience was as valuable as any, ever, any other experience I ever had in my life. And the truth was, I was five, maybe six years old, and I didn't understand any of the terms. I didn't even know what eschatology was, or key, ecclesiology, or any of those big words. I probably didn't even have an understanding of salvation theology. I probably didn't even know what justification meant. And yet I came to an altar and my mom prayed with me and God met me there. Hey, folks, you don't have to have, all you have to understand is childlike faith. Amy saying, Your kindness leads me to repentance. I don't think we th- see that most of the time. We don't see God's kindness as leading us to repentance. But, but this is just the nature of our God, that he's, he's calling us to life. So the question I have for you as we um, close this out is this. Who has God placed in your path? The, the, the truth is, in a congregation this size, that most of you probably have many, many people, that God has just placed you in their path, to be available to listen, and when God gives opportunity, do we still believe God gives opportunity? When God gives opportunity, He just clearly and simply declare the goodness of our God, the mercy of our God, the, what God wants for people, not from people. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. I'm thankful, Lord. that as a five or six-year-old kid, I was significant enough to you that you called me. Lord, Lord, I'm thankful that that wasn't the last time you called me or corrected me. That in my life there's been conviction, there's been drawing, there's been crisis, but Lord, it all began in that moment. To, to be honest, it probably it began many years before that moment in, in, in a rocking chair with a mom singing hymns and choruses while she rocked me. And so, Lord, I said, Lord, I live with this deep awareness of the kindness of God. And Lord, you invite us to participate with you in this kingdom call. Lord, we have to understand who we're talking to. You did. You took the time to listen. You asked questions. Lord, if you listened and you asked questions, why do, you think, why do we think we don't have to? So help us now, Lord. Lord to be aware, to wake up, and to see the opportunities all around us. Opportunities not not to convince people of what God wants from them, but to explain to them what God has in mind for them. Lord, this is a mission that's bigger than us. It's bigger than our understanding. It's bigger than our abilities. So we invite your spirit to come within us and walk beside us and guide us and use us, Lord, in the moments that you have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, folks.